The following podcast contains spoilers and rude words. Mate, did we watch a thing this week? Yeah, we did. Hey there, thanks for joining us. Uh, it's We Watched a Thing. You know that because you clicked on it. <laughs> I'm Tova. <laughs> He's Billy. How are you? No nonsense here. Not this week, buddy. <laughs> no. I'm uh, Just I'm facts. Go- Just the facts, <laughs> Billy. I- I'm good. That's a fact. How are you doing? Um, I have hatred in my heart, Billy. Because Super Bowl day? I have hatred in my heart. <laughs> Liverpool, well, so on, on the day we're recording this, um, Liverpool kind of officially exited the title race. Um, Tom Brady won a Super Bowl. 2020 hasn't stopped. Hasn't Tom Brady won like a million Super Bowls? Well, yeah, he's um, famously good at cheating, so sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think you need to slot allegedly into that sentence, mate. I don't want to get us um, sued. We actually really don't. <laughs> <laughs> There's been sanctions, Billy. I had some crazy fact today when I was watching, you know, the sports ball. I, I can't remember the exact figure, so I don't even know why I bring it up. They said something like Tom Brady has played in like 17% of all Super Bowls or something. Hmm. Well, you get that when you've been around a long time and you cheat. <laughs> You know what's great about this? The team that brings me the most misery hasn't even started playing yet this year. <laughs> when does Carlton season kick off this year? Is it September still? No, it ends in September, mate. It's, that's Yeah, that's what I was... Yeah, I know yeah. my sports ball. <laughs> Famous sports journalist, Billy. <laughs> my finger is firmly on the pulse. <laughs> but we're not here to talk about sports this week, are we, mate? No. Although there's this week, a little bit of sports in this film. It dabbles, doesn't it? Yeah, it, dabble, it dabbles in all of the genres, I would argue. <laughs> right. Yes, we're talking about 2020 American drama film One Night in Miami. Uh, it is the first feature film directed by Regina King from a screenplay by Kemp Powers based on his stage play of the same name. And it stars Kingsley Benadir, Eli Gorey, Aldous Hodge and Leslie Odom Jr. Reckon he's probably Eli Champ. I did that. I'm getting really bad at this. I swear I know how to read, but I've been reading Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory to my kid, right? Now, Willy Wonka wears a plum-coloured suit, but the way it's written in the book, there's a hyphen between plum and coloured, so I always think that it's one, and I always read it as plume-coloured. I'm like, no, plume ain't a colour, mate. No. (laughs) Eli. Plumes tend to be colourful. Yes. Yes, they do. Eli. Is Eli. all that staying in? No, I don't care. You do what you want, mate. <laughs> uh, and what is it about, Tove? Uh, it is about a... I'm not sure, actually, to be honest, how fictionalised account of yeah. four icons of America in the 60s hanging out. Yeah, the first time I read the description of the film, I misread it and I thought it said, like, completely fictionalised. But then when I read it the second time, it says a fictionalised version of a real night. So, I So, like you, I thought it was, like, just entirely made up. And then at the beginning of the film- But the beginning of the film has a kind of- I can't remember the exact wording, whether it's based on true events, whatever it says. Yeah, but they slot that on all kinds of crap. It's like, okay- (laughs) So, yeah, how much of this resembles what happened? No idea. Yeah. But anyway, it's a, it's a hangout movie between four icons. 
It is. It's a hangout movie. It's kind of like a bottle movie. We were talking just recently, last week or the week before, about movies adapted from stage plays and how usually for us they don't entirely land and translate. I just want to call this out as an example of one that does, because I actually think that this worked very, very well as a film and massive props to Regina King for her directorial debut, because I think this film is directed really, really nicely. Um, we might be in a bit of an echo chamber this week, I suspect. I think okay. as, far as, a, as far as a debut effort goes, oh, this is really solid stuff from King. It's a, a very solid film, but it's- I mean, and across the board, it starts with a solid foundation. I think the screenplay is really strong. The performances across the board are insanely good. I would watch a biopic just of Leslie Odom Jr. as Sam Cooke. I I think that all four of the main performances are really great. And then Regina King's direction just nails it. Even though, like we said, this is kind of a bottle movie all set in one room, there's no lack of directorial flourish here. And I think what she does with the material actually does elevate it, which is why I think it works as an adaptation. I think it says a bit that if you were to say to me, hey, do you want to watch a spin-off movie directed by King of a biopic just of any one of these four characters? I'd be like, sign me up. Absolutely, I agree. Um, I've got to say, I do appreciate the the four little intros that they do of the characters before we get into the one in Miami. That's largely because I have no relationship to Sam Cooke at all. I had no idea who he was. <laughs> at, the, at the end of the film, when Leslie Odom Jr. does A Change Is Gonna Come, at that point, I'm like, oh, okay, yes, I know this song. Yeah. And skipping that point, that performance is fucking incredible. Um it's not news to us that dude can sing. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> but but holy shit, <laughs> dude yeah. can sing. Yeah. Um but yeah, for the for the most part, I knew I knew the words Sam Cook appeared in that order in in the history books. But yeah. really I could have told you nothing about Sam Cook. He's just I don't and I mean you're the same, so maybe it is with our, you know, massive sample here of two people. <laughs> yeah. We'll just say that like Sam Cook probably not a deal in Australia the way he is in America. Well, that's true. And I I mean, again, the sign of a good movie when you watch it and it makes you want to read. So I spent a lot of today reading about these four guys. I don't know if you know about how Sam Cooke died, but he was very young and really weird circumstances around it. And I I do wonder if he might have permeated our culture a little more had he lived longer and, and had more time to do so. But, um, yeah, no, I'm exactly on the same page with you there. In fact, my favourite scene in the film is when he sings The Chain Gang, when Malcolm X is kind of recapping the story of the night they met. There's something about the direction of that scene just really, really got me. It's a really well put together moment, I think, for me. There's a really good moment in the our intro to um, Jim Brown where <laughs> where we get our- our first uh, taste hit, I yes. don't know, of, um, of, of small just town very racism. Real, just some very real racism from yeah. Bridges. 
Yeah. And, and well, it's let's, kind let's of... Not for, I'm just throwing Bo Bridges under the bus there. <laughs> a character played by Bo Bridges. It's, um, there's something really shocking about the way that plays out too, because in the back of your mind, you're like, well, yeah, this is the 60s. This is expected. But because of how it's led up to that moment- you actually don't expect it in that fashion. Like It's well done. Yeah, he returns almost like a hero. You know, the woman at the door is like, oh, my God, it's it's this guy. And then, no, you're not allowed in the house. Like, it, it's really kind of shocking when it hits you like that. And the fact that, yeah, that character, it's, it's a good characterization because he's just like one of those people that if you asked the character played by Bo Bridges, are you a racist? Yeah. He'd say, absolutely not. Which is the sign um, of a racist, usually. <laughs> usually it begins with, now, I'm not racist, but. But. <laughs> um, yeah, good little good little scene, that. Um, one weird thing about that scene, I just read this when I was just, like, clicking on, you know, trivia of the film. They mention the the season that Brown is coming off, and they, and they put up the real numbers that Brown had that year, but then talks about, you know, I'd give it all back if we could have beaten Green Bay. Yeah. They didn't play Green Bay. Right. Why get, why, why get that wrong? Yeah, see, that's interesting. You'd think more research would have gone into it than that. That's what interesting. Yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> is, is the writer just a Green Bay fan? He's like, I'm just going to change history so that the Packers <laughs> won the Super Bowl. And there's lots of weird things like that in there. Like, for some reason, for the first half of the film, they call Muhammad Ali Cassius Clay. And I'm like, what is going on here? Like, get his name right, people. <laughs> <laughs> Fun fact. Um, I threw Bo Bridges under the bus just earlier. <laughs> I'll throw my other half under the bus now. <laughs> I can see her in the background of the shot staring no. at the camera. There's, there's troubles afoot. <laughs> Tell the story, um, though. That, yeah, the scene at the end of the film where he where he takes on the name. Yeah. That was the moment where she was like, oh. <laughs> That's who that is. Um... Getting a pretty dark look, just quietly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, a lot of people don't follow boxing. It's fair enough. Totally fair enough. Totally (laughs) fair enough. (laughs) I I mean, yeah. I suppose I take it for granted that people know who Cassius Clay is, but I'd be wrong. (laughs) Um, Holy shit, that guy looks like Muhammad Ali. Yeah, yeah, he does. He really does. Holy shit. His oh. Ali, it's- And okay, you could, you could argue it's teetering over into- Maybe maybe it's teetering over into impersonation. But regardless, holy shit. It's less of an impersonation than um, fucking Malik in Bohemian Rhapsody. We're not at that level. <laughs> like- Cool. All right. Let's give him an Oscar then. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, I tell Got you, a the, um, spoiler alert for next week. Fuck Rami Malek. <laughs> Strange one for me is um, Kingsley Benadire as Malcolm X, who argue for, I mean, for a lot of people, he's the performance of the film. I think in like weirdly in my head, I'm like, oh yeah, but he doesn't look much like Malcolm X. And then I realize where that comes from is from years and years of wandering the aisles in the video shop yeah. and Denzel is imprinted in my head yeah. as Malcolm X when in fact Kingsley Benadire looks a lot more like Malcolm yeah. X than Denzel does. <laughs> I was just going to bring this up because I know that you watched um, Malcolm. Did you watch Malcolm X after this? Yeah, a couple of nights after. Yeah. So how do you feel now watching that back 
like the comparison between Kingsley Benadir and and Denzel, like performance wise. Well, they're both. I, I mean, they're both powerhouse performances. <laughs> yeah, to say that they're both high level is an understatement. I mean, Denzel's is is an all timer. That's just a genuine embarrassment that <laughs> that Pacino won the Oscar that year for Scent of a Woman. Yeah which wouldn't have been an issue if they'd given it to him for Godfather Part 2 in the first place, but yeah. and that's a rabbit hole we can go down later. Oscars be um, doing that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Denzel, Denzel's performance in Malcolm X is... I mean, it's an all-timer. It's it's peak Denzel. It's Denzel going full Denzel before we really knew what that was, maybe. Yeah, yeah. And he also ha- he also gets a lot more to do in that movie because it, it covers a lot more. This movie is literally a bottleneck of this one night. That's right. Kingsley Benadir gets half of a, sorry, a quarter of a two-hour film, whereas Denzel got right. a three-hour twenty film. Yeah, and I do think it's amazing the characterization that they get out of these characters over the course of this one night. I, I just, I can't praise it enough. Like, I, I love movies like this that are set in a day or a night. You know, like Before Sunrise is one of my all-time favorites. Clerks, classic example. <laughs> Um, but it, it's actually really hard to do without wasting time on exposition, and this film doesn't do it. It just it gets into it and it it carries you all the way to the end, completely engaged. You know what's a lot better in movies than in real life? Boxing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not a boxing I love, fan. I love boxing in a movie. Like I'm absolutely sick for a boxing scene in a film. Yeah. I'm I'm the same with a lot so of sports. So much better than real life. <laughs> I'm exactly the same with, like, American football. You know, like, I, I don't mind watching American football, but it is so much more entertaining in film. <laughs> you know, I would way rather watch Friday Night Lights than watch the Super Bowl. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, I didn't- I didn't- I didn't fact check this because, you know, I, I trust my other half. She looked- while we were watching it, she was flicking through IMDb and, and Aldous Hodge, who plays Jim Brown, was in Friday Night Lights. No shit. And I was like, no way, he's too old. And then I was like, wait, no. Yeah. No, he's not. He's not. <laughs> he's not. We're too old. <laughs> We're too old. <laughs> it was, oh, man. I just yesterday, I was looking up um, where to buy, like, wood chips for smoking meat. And one of the first things I found was this meme that said, when a man hits 35, he has to make the decision between becoming a World War II nut or becoming obsessed with smoking various kinds of meat. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm that old. I'm that guy now. <laughs> you need some hickory chips or the History Channel. Yes. And it really, really hit me that I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> In fairness, you were a pretty old 16-year-old. So. I mean, that's, that's completely fair. <laughs> if anything, I've gotten younger <laughs> as I've gotten older. There's an argument for that, actually. <laughs> um, it is interesting that in a film, like 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 you know, it said at the beginning, this, this is four American icons of, of the 60s, um, two of which are played by Americans. Which two aren't Americans? Uh, Eli is, a, is Canadian- Right. And Kingsley is an Englishman. Huh. I mean, Canadians close enough, though, in it. Ah, sure. They, <laughs> they do. They do enjoy hearing that. I should. Have, I should have known that Kingsley was British. That name, Kingsley, it's very fancy. It's <laughs> <laughs> a very fancy name. Kingsley. It, it really, you're really is. like you're really putting it on a kid, aren't you? You like, really are. First name, <laughs> Emperor. <laughs> <Yeah>. Emperor's Lee. <laughs> 
Well, I've got to say, he holds a pretty great American accent then. I mean, I thought so, but obviously I'm not going to be as sensitive to it as somebody who holds that ac- accent. So I'm always like, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's good, but I'm also like, well, I'm not going to say it's good because what do I know? I'm sure there are people that heard Jude Law in Contagion and were like, <laughs> definitely an Australian. <laughs> oh, man. I forgot that he was pretending to be Australian until I rewatched that about a month ago. And I was like, why? Wh- why? It's just bad. He doesn't say <gasps> once. Like, he's got no. it all wrong. <laughs> he's, you're doing it wrong, mate. <laughs> Props to, like like you said, most of, most of this film is is like a bottle episode. It takes place in in a small location. I really quite like the look and the shape, particularly the shape, I think, really is what I like most about the lighting yep. in this set. Yeah. Um, it doesn't go for, and I think it's right to do so, it doesn't go for too much naturalism. This is, we're looking at four icons here, let's make this shit look cinematic. Yeah, and it's in a lot of ways, I, I feel like it's shot more like a stage play. Lots and lots of depth in the light and... You know, like, and that's where that style of lighting came from. And then Orson Welles came along and said, "No, let's light this like a play. Let's get some depth going here." And that's exactly what this plays on. I agree with you; it's beautiful, and I love the the set design itself, the look of the room. It doesn't dive too, and it would have been really easy to dive really into. Oh, this is the '60s, you know, like just really hamming up the period. It doesn't do that, but you still get that sense from it anyway. It's really nice. A really good thing that, that that main set does is that it gives King the ability to create division within the space really yes. naturally. That's right. Like at any at any point in time, you can be like, okay, three of you there, one of you there, and there's actually a physical yes barrier as well as just space between the characters. That's and right. It's, so it's a it's a great bit of set design, and it's used really well by yeah. King in the direction. There's that great scene when um, when Cook and, and Malcolm are really starting to fight and Cook is getting to leave. And the three of them are sitting there and it's a great design because, as you said, it's almost like one big open space. But there's lots of kind of half walls and, and archways that separate it. And so the three of them are sitting on one side and Cook is just on the other side of this arch. And you're right, it creates this beautiful division between them where they don't even need to say anything. You can feel the tension in the room just because there's that physical distance. And it's it's amazing how huge this room feels. I wonder if this actually improves the experience of watching the film if you do know more about, and specifically compared to myself, if you know more about Sam Cooke going in. Because you know the date. It, it tells you at the beginning of the film what day this is. I'm not making that up, am I? No, you're not. It does. It's it's like February- uh, uh, Feb 25, 1964. Yeah. Yes, that's so, correct. Yeah. So, if you know um, the- Particularly if you know the dates around the deaths of Cook and Malcolm X, yeah. it does probably add this extra kind of, you know, layer of melancholy because you know how close you are to the end That's for these two. That's right. Within a year. The yeah. two, two of these four characters will be dead. And really, like, it is it is an ensemble piece. There are the four of them, but I would argue that Cook and Malcolm X are the main, the main two characters in the film. I think that that's where a lot of the tension is carried from. That's where, you know, Malcolm really, you know, like, he's already got the other two on his side, 
basically, you know, and there's there's a bit of tension there when he says he's leaving the nation of Islam and and Muhammad Ali is a bit like, well, what you're just using me, but the bulk of the film is made up of Malcolm X trying to convince Sam Cooke that he could be doing more to further the cause. So knowing, and it tells you at the end of the film that that Malcolm X dies. What is it like? Two, three days later, four days later, or something? It's very, very short after this date. I thought Malcolm X died at the beginning of 1965. Right. I just remember it coming up. I and thought, but I, was... I stand to be corrected on that. Okay, so it was it was like a year later. You're right. He he died on the 21st of Feb 1965. Yep. So yeah, it comes up with a title at the end telling you how soon after Malcolm X dies, but it doesn't tell you anything about the future for the other three. So I think you're right. Having that knowledge in your back pocket actually does it adds something to the film. I think. The scenes between, and like like you said, they are the, the scenes that kind of have the most juice in the film are when Malcolm X and Sam Cooke are going at it or when Malcolm X is trying to go at Sam Cooke and Sam Cooke's trying to not be yeah. gotten at. This, this is props to the writing and absolutely props to the performance because a lot of this, they the other the person who's not speaking is doing a lot in these scenes because the reason that those kind of little clashes works so well I think is that when one is going at the other the other one knows that the other guy's got a point yes yes agreed and that that is where I think this really works well as an adaptation when you watch a stage play your eyes have the ability to take in the entire stage you can look at all the reactions and see how everyone else on stage is reacting to whatever the speaker is saying whereas in film obviously those choices are made for you by the director and the editor as to what you look at. And if those choices don't land, then that's it, unfortunately. But you're right. Here, it really does a great job of giving you those little moments. The editing, I think, is really tight in this film. Something that I think would be interesting to focus on if you were to rewatch this film, because I think this is something that Regina King- Maybe this is the thing that I think she does best in the direction of this film- is that at the beginning of every scene, you know whose scene it is. You know who's gonna, who you kind of, like, who am I with in this? You can't just be with one of them. Yeah, yeah. Well, or at least certainly that's not how it plays out. It certainly does not play out that you're with one person for the runtime of this film. It shifts scene to scene. And you're subconsciously aware of that as the viewer. Now, how Regina King did that, I don't know. But yeah. it occurred to me three quarters of the way through the film that, and I, I, th- I think it was when I was watching the, the scene between Jim Brown and Malcolm X, where Brown kind of takes him to task a little bit. And I was like, how do I know that this is Jim Brown's scene? Yeah. I, I don't know how she did it. I'd be really interested to watch it again to be like, what, what are the little things she did at the beginning of a scene yeah. to set you up for that? It's pretty masterfully done. You're right, yeah. And it's probably just as something as simple as the shot that the scene establishes with. But however she does it, for a first-time director, I just think this is such an impressive effort. And she she didn't get nominated for director for the Globes, did she? I don't believe she was one of them. Um, yeah, well, must be upsetting to not be nominated when Jared Leto is <laughs> at an awards ceremony. <laughs> More on that next week. Get a letter. I mean, 
mean, uh, we'll get into this like in about 20 minutes when we record that one, but I honestly don't know who's worse out of Leto and Malik. <laughs> uh, tell you who's better than both of them, though. Regina King. Is, is it everyone in this <laughs> film? Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> um, I mean, speaking of awards, you would have to guess that this film has some Oscar potential. I, I don't think it got any Globe nominations, but I mean, fuck the Hollywood Foreign Press. If you had to pick where you think this is going to be placed, what would your picks be for nominations? It, it's a tough one because I think that I I, pro- I should double check this, I, but I think that Leslie Odom Jr. got a SAG nomination for supporting. Yep. I think. And I, I, I suppose that's the difficulty with the performances in this film is that to do it without category fraud, yeah, you're pushing four people in the one category, yeah, and effective- there isn't there isn't a lead. No, this is a four way story. If you were going to rank it, Jim Brown is fourth. You would probably have if they were going to run two of them, they would probably put Malcolm X in lead and and Leslie Odom Jr. in supporting. If and even that, that as you suspicion. say, would, that would still be category fraud. I it, think it, it would be. It would be. Um, who, okay, so who would you? If we if we put up more than one person, we're just shooting ourselves in the foot because it'll you'll be splitting the vote. Yeah. So if you're going to put up one person, who's your pick? If I was going one, it would be Leslie Adams Jr. in supporting because I think supporting is going to be a smaller race. I I think that I mean it's so hard to say this year. Like, and I mean, the fact that Leto got nominated shows you that, that there haven't been many great supporting performances that stuck in people's mind this year. So that's why I think I would, I would go for supporting and I'd probably go Leslie Adam Jr. If I was doing it. Um, I'd probably lean Kingsley Benadir, but I mean, you just throw a blanket across the performances. Yeah. They're just, they're all excellent. Like, like we said, the Jim Brown role is probably gets the least of the four of them, but I, in some ways, that is a shame because he is spectacular. Yeah. I would definitely be pushing Kemp Powers for adapted screenplay, though, because I don't think there's going to be a lot of competition there. That seems like a lock for a that, nomination, doesn't that it? has to be. has to be. And I, I, w- I mean, I would definitely have Regina King up for directing. And I, I'm not convinced she'd win it, but I feel like she definitely deserves to be in the conversation here. All right. Uh, how are you scoring this? Strong 7 out of 10. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm exactly the same. I'm a very strong seven. I was nearly an eight, but I think a seven is, yeah. Yeah, I think it's one of those ones where the choice is clearly between a seven and an eight, not a seven and a six. Yep, exactly. Yep, highly, highly recommended. All right, what are we getting to next week, buddy? Do you know Cassius Clay is Muhammad Ali? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> True story. I, I don't think that. I'm going to have to message your partner and double check that because I know that she would know. <laughs> Yeah, should then throw something at me. <laughs> um, what did you, did you ask? What we're doing next week? I did. Um, look, we're in for a treat. Oh, absolute treat. <laughs> um, I can say, having already seen the film, uh, that we're doing the little things. Yes, we are the little things. Yeah, origin story of Peter Baelish. <laughs> My first note I wrote down when watching it was, is this movie about Shia LaBeouf? (laughs) 
<laughs> All right. That'll be that'll be fun. Can't wait to get to that. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do that at wewatchedathing.com or wewatchedathing at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all under the handle at wewatchedathing. If you want to help support the show, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash wewatchedathing, and we'll catch you next week. Watch a movie, folks. Watch a movie.